Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. This week, Jen Peoples and Phil Session agreed to join me for an e-happy hour to discuss current events and some of the impact on our own lives. The discussion was long and it will be presented in two parts. This first episode touches on anti-racism rebranding, statue removal, and a recent event involving Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was the target of a gendered slur from a congressional peer. And now, the e-happy hour, part one. So hey, with me tonight are Phil Session and Jen Peebles who people have probably not heard from in a little while. (laughs) We decided to get together and have a conversation because lots of stuff is happening and people miss voices sometimes. And so I wanted to get some voices on and talk about some stuff. So, um, Jen, how are you doing? Hey, not too bad. I'm sitting here with my Fresh Kicks Hazy IPA. All good. (laughs) How about you, Phil? I'm doing okay. As a matter of fact, I have a a nice frosted glass with uh, what what I call cardboard dough, but that's that lovely Franzia wine that you get in a box, which wow. is so so classy. But it's in a beautiful glass yes. here. You know, you, it, it's I'm a beautiful. Screenshot that. Hold that it. one up, and we'll get a screenshot. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who drinks red wine cold. Yes. Yeah. I, I always really good cold. Yeah, that's I, I hear that a lot when I chill my wines, especially the red wines. It's like, well, it's supposed to be, you know, room temperature and everything else. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm already going to be warm by the wine. I don't want it going into me to start off with at room temperature as well. Like, give me a nice chilled thing. So that's the experience I have going on here. But I'm doing well, just busy. That's for sure. As as always. I think yeah. if I was going to chill a red, I would do a sangria. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see yeah. that. Well, sangria is supposed to be cold. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that I had a party one time, and I don't know if either of you were there, but we did sangria floats. Vanilla ice cream sangria, and it was amazing. We had a white and a red sangria, and we had root beer to do root beer floats, and at some point I just decided to do a sangria float, and by the end of the day, everybody had a sangria float, so... Awesome. Very tasty. I should do that at the blog. That sounds amazing. It was. <laughs> well, God, it's, you know, we guys, we don't get to chat as often as we might like to, but it's yeah. good to get, you get together with you tonight to talk about some things. I know that every now and then we'll get on Facebook and kind of, you know, exchange a few things, but nothing like, you know, big conversations anymore. So 
so much going on though. I think so at the point where I was talking to you guys online, Jen, you said you had an issue came up um, that was kind of personal, like a personal thing that impacted you and your family that had to do with a lot of these changes that are going on right now due to the BLM movement and uh, the systemic racism response. Yeah, so um, the local high school, which my son will be attending this coming year, their mascot was rebels. It was not James Dean rebel without a cause kind of thing. It was, you know, (laughs) rebels as in the Confederacy. So when we first moved here 20 years ago, we were like, okay, that's got to change because I don't want my kid going to a high school with a racist mascot, right? And people were saying, oh, no, you know, it's about Southern heritage and all this stuff. But that school, um, people use the Confederate battle flag as part of their spirit gear. So you had the stars and bars flying. Dixie was the fight song. In this school's history, I think this actually ended before we got here, but they used to have a fundraiser for the booster club that they called Slave Day, where they would have auctioned off as slaves for other students for a day. So it it was as bad as you might think, right? But you know, this really speaks to like how normalized this stuff is when you grow up in the South. Right. And and the th- the weird thing about this is is that the school itself is not named for a Confederate general. The guy that the school's named for was never part of the Confederacy or anything. He was a Texas Ranger. Well, he never owned slaves. He didn't do it. But the school was founded in the aftermath of the Civil Rights Movement. And that was when a lot of, you know, there was a backlash against that, especially in mm-hmm. a lot of Southern schools. And so they, they slapped this racist mascot on this high school in the aftermath of the Civil Rights Movement. And so this continued on until, you know, the 2000s. And people were, it's not like everybody was okay with it. People kept making noise about it. But they kept saying, no, no, it's really not about that. It's about our Southern heritage. And we're like, you know, what part of the heritage is that you got this, you know, Texas Ranger who never owned a slave, was never part of the Confederacy, but the mascot of the school that bears his name is the Rebels. Anyway, I think it was in like 2005 or 2006, somewhere around that time frame, they banned the Confederate battle flag. And they had already like discontinued the slave day. And they're like, oh no, that's bad. So then they said, no, you can't use the Confederate battle flag anymore because, you know, that's tying us way too much to the Confederacy. So there were still, you know, people were complaining about that. It's like, oh, we're being all politically correct and everything. You know, they got over it. In 2015, they finally got around to banning Dixie as the, the fight song for the school. So they replaced that with a different fight song. And so the I mean, last- Dixie, I, I was I was actually thinking of Dixie recently, the song, right? Because yeah. I remember when we were little, we sang it in school, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't mean as oh, like wow. kids on a playground. I mean we sang it in school, right? <laughs> like as a thing. We learned yeah. it. And I still remember the words, right? Right? It's like I wish I was in the land of cotton. Like that's how it starts. Yes. And I 
I keep thinking wow. now as I think about this, right, this whole attitude that people have that this is no big deal is generally an attitude that's that's among white people, mm -hmm. right? So they're not thinking in terms of the context of the black student that has to go to school here every day and who is probably mm -hmm. only, you know, I mean, in, I guess in the South, it might there might be some mixed demographics. I went to school in Florida, which isn't technically considered like a Southern state, although I think it might be changing into one. But the school I went to was maybe, you know, maybe there were a dozen black students in a really big magnet high school. So there weren't many. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's not even a matter of how many. It's just about asking somebody to endure the repeated insult of these constant reminders of glorifying these these icons to a time of of enslavement. And like you said, this isn't even you can't. How do you a mock slave auction? Like you can't yeah, even right. say you know. Uh, no, it's not really. It's like yeah, you're even you're you're definitely saying that. You've got a fight song that starts out about you know cotton in Dixie. Yeah. And what do you think that evokes, right? What do you think right. these images evoke to the black students? And and it it reminds me of when people try to make the excuse that something used to be okay. This used to be normal. This used to be okay. And usually all that mm -hmm. means is that the people who were in power who were perpetuating it were okay with it. Right. Because the people who were on the receiving end of the shit stick usually weren't all right with it. And you have, and I, that was like someone said to me recently that I that it wasn't okay to hold certain founding fathers to task, you know, for having slaves, because back then there was a whole different mindset about it. I said, as long as you have had people who were enslaved, you've had people who knew it wasn't okay to enslave people, because yeah. I can guarantee you the people on the slave mm -hmm. end, you had maybe not all of them, but you had people in there who knew that was not all right. And I posted like a thing about um, really early abolitionists in the United States. And um, the point is, even at the times where these founding fathers had slaves or, or enslaved, were enslaving people, and I, that's another thing, just FYI, I try to remind myself now to use enslaved people because it personifies, you know, the people that were enslaved as opposed to right. slave, which is kind of an objectifying label that makes it dehuman. Right. So mm -hmm. when you have these people who were enslaving people, there were other people criticizing that at the time. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like there were no critics. There were people in the, among their peers who were critical of it. Obviously, the people that were living in these horrendous conditions where they had no rights and where anything that was done to them was legal, they were not, I can guarantee you, 100% okay with it. So this idea that this used to be okay is that it used to be what people were forced to endure because they didn't have the power to throw those shackles off right. you know and i use the word shackles here not only in the literal sense of people that were enslaved but also in a figurative sense of people like women who were given no rights and basically you know handed around like chattel to make family ties and stuff like that so you had people that were just completely oppressed in, in horrendous ways. Anyway, I can, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> right. I, 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 I can't even imagine, I, I can't even imagine in being in you know, that school system, if I was actually a part of that and like seeing the, the, the slave trading portion that goes as you said, it was a fundraiser, correct? This is a fundraiser yeah. event that, that was going on. And 
you know, couple that with you know having the stars and bars, that flag, and then the Dixie. So I, I can't imagine how that would make me feel if I was a parent of a child of color in that system. How I would feel about that if I'm going to a football game and this is what I see, like how cringy would I feel about that, and what would I do about it? Like what would even be and my power to do something because if you say something, your you know your child might get ostracized in this right. district or you know bullied in school because you know because of you because of you we can no longer have our song or our slave trade fundraiser day, <laughs> which is like blows my mind. But I I can't even imagine how that must have been for people that were in that actual system and actually have to endure that time after time. And it's just like, you're just supposed to accept it or feel powerless to do anything about it because you don't have the popular support around you to push against it. That was something that, that, you know, several of us kept pointing out. You, you hear from predominantly white and frankly, Hispanic families saying this is not an issue. It doesn't mean slavery like in the old south or anything like that nobody connects the rebel mascot to that it's a dude in a a gray uniform and it's got rebels on it that's a confederate soldier there's no way to get around that and especially if you look back at the history of the school you cannot divorce the history of the school from that mascot because they were saying let's rebrand it to something else because rebel could mean lots of different things we're like nope you can't you can't rebrand it at this point yeah, and I mean, how do how do I, as somebody who's white, though, even presume to tell a person who's grown up and lived their life in the shadow of slavery? How do I yeah. presume to tell them? Oh, yeah, no, that's not how I mean it. That's not yeah. what's intended. It's got this other meaning that you you need to understand my mm-hmm. intended yeah. meaning and and adopt it instead of me saying I need to understand what it means to you and adopt it. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 I'm in the majority. I'm white. So you need to just suck it up and, and understand that I don't mean it as offensive and, you know, quit being, you know, I don't, it's not even offended by it. It's just the contextual, um, yeah. almost like humiliation of making somebody confront that day in and day out. Yeah. And the thing about this is that this particular high school is not majority white. It's about 40 something percent white. The rest is people of color, mostly Hispanic. Yeah, I was going to say here in Texas, that's that's a big population. Hispanic mm-hmm. people in, in Austin, especially, it's like a huge portion of the yeah. demographic. So it's, you know, so not we, uncommon. We chose, we chose this school district in part because, you know, we didn't want our child going to a 90-something percent white high school and getting this idea that that's what the world looks like. It was, hey, let's let's pick a high school that looks like the Texas demographics, or at least somewhat like that. You know, he, he's grown up with friends that were Hispanic or Black or Asian or whatever. Have to impose that on them because it predominantly affects the Black students, but there's an impact on every student who's not white when they walk into that environment. In particular, you know, at high school, they're starting to connect those dots. That's why it was so eloquent when the students got up in front of the school board and made the statements to the school board saying, we have to change this mascot. We can't do this to our fellow students. It's not right. Because the school board's position was they would only change the mascot if the students wanted to, which I think mm-hmm. is the responsibility of the school board. 
But yeah, it's like you were saying, what if the school was 80% white? And yeah. then you say, it, it reminds me of when they did those, the optional, what was it, the, the city halls that they wanted to have Christmas displays. And mm -hmm. so they did the lotteries, right? And they basically said, right. we're going to do a lottery and anybody that wants to try to have a slot to do a display on the courthouse lawn or the city hall lawn for the holidays can do it. And when you know that 90% of your town is Christian, it's basically not a fair lotto, right? You can sit there right. and say all day that it's random and, you know, hey. Mm -hmm. and, and what's funny is in one of these lottos, at least, um, an atheist group got in. But it was despite the odds, not because it was a fair yeah, run. Fair. When when you're literally reaching into a bin with a hundred balls and only five of them are blue and you're blindfolded, the odds that you're going to pull a blue one are not that great. There's a definite advantage to not being a blue ball. Yeah. And yeah, why did I pick blue? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was really poor. <laughs> anyway, so the, the idea that, you know, this is a fair thing because we're just going to let them decide or we'll pick from this random thing. There are so many ways to weight this. I'm glad the students did the right thing, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say the beautiful thing sure. is that the students stood up and said, no, we're, we're not doing this anymore. We're changing this mascot. So there's no consensus on what the new mascot's going to be. The school board, at the end of that meeting, they voted to retire the mascot, but there's no consensus on what the mascot's going to be going forward, and they're just sort of tabling that right now. Part of it is that there's there's money involved in repainting and changing everything that mm -hmm. have to change and all this stuff. And so it's a, not just, hey, boom, we're done, we'll move on. There's a lot that needs to happen, but... The big hurdle is now clear. They they voted to retire that mascot. You know, some of us have been working on that for twenty years now. Big win right there. It's yeah, nice it to is hear like a, a personal story about something like that. So you know, the the goal that we set out to achieve twenty years ago, which is that our son will not attend a high school with a racist mascot, we're actually going to achieve that. But I think part of it too is that you if you look at the kids that are going in there into that high school now they have been raised in a culture of kindness so every school they've attended all the way through you know from elementary all the way through middle school and now going into high school the emphasis has always been on treating each other with kindness and so in middle school where there's bullying and everything they didn't have any bullying it's not allowed um, it's not part of the culture we're seeing the dividends of that going forward now. I'm glad to hear that. And I do think that the yeah. younger generation, some, you know, some of them anyway, that are really inspirational. I, I like some of what I'm seeing and especially the changes toward more diversity and understanding diversity as opposed to just asking everyone to suck it up and be just like the dominant culture. Yeah. And, and you know, just the, the ability to step back from your, your own shit, whatever you got going on, and see things mm -hmm. from someone else's perspective. You know, it's it's so valuable for these kids. And ultimately, it's going to be valuable for us, too. Yes, and okay. have other stuff coming up about diversity and the value of diversity in settings and how that changes a uh, dominant dyna dynamic. But the next thing, though, that we were talking about was that there's other 
things obviously changing. The first domino to fall was Aunt Jemima, and then they all started yes. going down, one right after the other, and then the real statues started to fall, finally. All those ones that we had to have all those arguments about, well, I don't know if this can come down, we don't know if this can, and they just went and took them down. And I was so just cheering that the powers that be will not allow the right thing to happen. Then the people just took to the streets and did the right thing. That was beautiful to see those things finally fall. The thing I've been posting mostly on Facebook has just been about the idea that I will choose human beings over statues any day. There is no statue that I venerate to such a degree that I would give a crap if it came down, if it was there contributing to the glorification of somebody who had done horrific things or that stood for doing horrific things. And that includes people that are venerated, like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. I just don't care. There's really nothing that makes me want to go to the wall to save a statue to somebody that either enslaved, raped slaves, uh, enslaved people. I don't care what happens to your statue at that point. And I said, I said at one point, if I did some great thing and had a statue to me, and let's say that I was maligned, let's say that they said that I had done horrible things and enslaved people, and I had, I hadn't actually done it, but that was somehow the story that came out. And I'm dead a hundred years, and they pull my statue down. I don't care. Right. It makes people that were oppressed feel better about the situation. If there is some dispute as to whether or not I deserve to have a statue, if I really care about oppression, what I will say is if you're taking down a hundred oppressor statues and mine topples as one of them, maybe quote unfairly, that's totally fine. If that's what it takes to get those other 99 statues down, tear my statue down and pee on it because I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I'd frankly be a little bit appalled if I had a statue. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I have to worry about it. And no one has yeah. come to my totally I just think that anybody that really does care about ending oppression would say if if my statue goes down with a bunch of others, you know, so what? If my reputation burns unfairly, so what? I don't care. Yeah. The important thing is that the people that are alive right now are not suffering and if we if we do this is like the french revolution we're doing a clean sweep and man there's going to be some mistakes made but at the end of the day we'll come out of this we're going to have be of an oppressed situation and that's the, that's the goal these statues it's not like they're great works of art anyway they're literally crap stuff that daughters of the confederacy put up oh yeah i mean you're talking about the the majority of those like southern confederate statues yeah yeah mm-hmm. so, yeah it doesn't matter and then the other thing i was going to comment on was talking about name changes there's a provision in the defense appropriation bill that's at the senate right now that what well, the senate actually just passed that trump is threatening to veto because it contains a provision in there to rename some of the uh, military, military sites um, to change the name, because they're named uh, after a bunch of Southern Confederate generals. Traitors. Yeah, traitors. And, People and so, that fought against the United States. Yeah. And so I was like, yes, this is long overdue. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I was going to say that, I mean, between Trump and, you know, there's a lot of people that when I see those arguments kind of boiling on, because I, I do, I do go on to, you know, some media streams that differ from mine just to see kind of what comments are like and to get that sense. It's not something I do too, too often. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot at times, but, you know, one of those things that I saw a lot was, you know, when you're tearing down, you know, you're tearing down history and you're, you're tearing down, you know, this person may have done bad action X, Y, and Z, but, you know, that's a part of our history and that's not what we do. When you look at, you know, folks that have done good things in the past, like not everyone that has done awesome things is going to have a statue, but that doesn't make their history any less relevant. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't see it in museums or we don't see biographies or documentaries about what their contributions were on that side. And so the thought that tearing down a statue of a, a Confederate general that fought against Americans in order to preserve the state's rights to own other people as property in part is not destroying the history that they existed it doesn't destroy the history of what they did. It's just saying that we're not glorifying this particular person that contributed to these actions and recognizing that these statues have an effect on the people that see them to say that, hey, we're, we are glorifying and lifting up this particular individual. It happens to be this individual that did, you know, bad problems X, Y, and Z, but you know, it's still history and we're want to lift it up, let alone what you were speaking about, about the Daughters of Confederacy pushing these statues in. And a lot of it, which I don't think it's talked about as much, is to remind people of their position and their place, that even though this faction lost, that this uprising against Americans uh, lost, the uh, Confederacy, that we are still here, we're still in power, we're still in charge. So, I mean, even during the Reconstruction era, you know, you talked about your Jim Crow and everything. It was all about re-emphasizing who is dominant, who is in charge, who has the power, who is worth being treated as a human being and who has not. You know, you individuals may be free, but you're not like us. You may be quote unquote free, but we're going to throw you in jail. And because the 13th Amendment says that we can, you know, force those that are incarcerated, duly uh, incarcerated to do labor, we're going to do that. We're going to take all these provisions and all of it helps to reemphasize that we are superior than you. And don't ever get that twisted, whether emancipation proclamation, whether we lost the war or not, I don't give a damn. We are still a level above you. And don't you dare forget that. But that extended, that's extended like from the statues to like, uh, I've talked about this uh, on a prior podcast before, but when I had to review deeds, for example, so this is a deed that was in the 1930s, I think, but it had a clause as a part of the conditions of selling this home that you cannot sell, resell this home 
to a colored person. That was something that the buyer had to agree to. And it was sitting right there in black and white. And I remember that one of the attorneys I was working with at the time, she made it a point. She was an African-American lady, and she made a point to point this out to all of us young folks because many people that worked uh, at that time were African-American in this and had never seen such language just <laughs> casually toss in a deep yeah. instrument. I had reviewed hundreds of these things and just never saw it in black and white. Here it is right in front of you. No, you can't sell this to a colored person. You're yeah. agreeing to this in the purchase. Uh, right, and yeah, redlining was, oh goodness, I can go in, in on that. But yeah, that's, I just wanted to throw that part in. It isn't destroying the history when you're taking down these statues. It's recognizing the continuous harm and what it's glorifying and its effects that it has on people as time goes on. It should have been done a long time ago. We still have that history. We still know who they are. They're still in history books. They're in you know museums and documentaries and everything. We got it. We but got the other it. Thing, the other thing, though, is we, we're focusing on a white history. It's not mm-hmm. like history is only the history of white people. Right. And so when you have something like Andrew Jackson, right, and Martin Van Buren, and you've got Jackson on a, on a bill on currency, right, on American currency, and this is a man that carried out illegal genocide against indigenous populations in, after SCOTUS had said, this is not legal. He basically said, I own the military here as the executive branch, and I will just fire generals and fire military personnel until I get the ones who will do what I need done here. And I don't care if it's illegal, and I don't care if those lands are ours or not. I don't care that SCOTUS says that, no, those are under U.S. treaty, belongs to the indigenous populations. We want that land. We're going in. We're Mm -hmm. grabbing them. And if they don't like it, they can just be shot. And then when we do get them off, we're going to march them on a death march across the country to a new place to live where they can sit and do whatever they need to do, but we're taking this land and we don't care how many of these people we have to kill to do it. And this, I don't even know what to call it, villain of history is on the $20 bill. I'm looking at that and it's like, well, if somebody's worried about forgetting history, why don't we take some of the nations that were killed and robbed in that piece of history and put them on the $20 bill? Why don't we find a way to represent the people who are actually damaged and their history? Because that's part of history too. There's indigenous Mm -hmm. history in this nation and we need to take a look at that and include that instead of always looking at it from the white history perspective. Look at it from the other perspective and say, why don't we represent the death marches as they viewed it and put that on a $20 bill, like put some sort of uh, monument to indigenous populations there to say that they had a history too. And when you talked about any, any kind of thing like that, like anytime we're taking down something, if we're taking down a Confederate statue, well, let's put up a monument to something that happened or a memoriam to something that happened that is from the perspective of black history in that area that happened in, you know, as a result of something that this general did or didn't do of the enslavement that he was perpetuating and promoting and defending. Let's put that history on display. Let's let's just share the history here and acknowledge that this country's history is not just a history of, of European, you know, immigrants. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I also, I do want to uh, hit on the, the note because I'm sure that it's, uh, it's been out there, like in some conversations that I've had, but, you know, tearing down these statues, some, a lot of this is long overdue. 
to be yes. perfectly honest. People have, people have been fighting for this for a long time just to do that. But not only that, I would say that is a huge thing, but also make sure those out there that are fighting that fight to not stop there because that is one part of a huge system that is, you know, meant to, as I said, remind people of their place. It's it's a part of a huge structure that's there. It's one component and it's something that should have been tackled. It's one of the most like visual components that we've got. And so they should be taken down. I, I saw one, I think it was Christopher Columbus. They statue was taken down and it was like thrown in the water or something like that. It was yeah. some video I saw where yes. it, it was just like, oh boy. <laughs> we talked about something that, that I think is really important and I think it's something that um, a lot of white people don't really grasp. Like if you are you know, a, a black person walking around in a southern city and you see the statue of a confederate general looking down on you Every day when you walk into, you know, the city center, that has an emotional impact, especially if you know that this was not only a Confederate general, but a slave owner, possibly a member of the Klan after the the war was over. And this person is being elevated, literally put on a pedestal Mm -hmm. down on the descendants of enslaved people to basically send the message, we can enslave you again. We can incarcerate you and enslave you again. We have the power to do that. The emotional impact of pulling that statue down, I don't think can, is something that a lot of white people can really grasp. I know they can't grasp because I keep seeing the comments that are like, holy cow, we need to send the military in there to stop to protect those statues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like those <laughs> are more important than the racism they embody. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that a lot of these people that are so um, defensive of these statues, when it was Saddam Hussein's statue coming down, you know, in Baghdad, they were cheering for that, even though that sure. was, that was totally staged. That wasn't the Iraqi people rising up and saying, "Oh, let's tear this this guy down." That was staged by the U.S. military. It's totally propaganda, but they they support that. These statues coming down are not staged. This is the people rising up and saying, we're tearing this down. And suddenly that's a terrible thing. So I think it tells you a lot about the mindset of the people that are saying. When when you talk about the the, the diversity is so important. I did a thread a while back on my wall and it was about the American experience. Right. And it was just about like my memory of happy days and I would watch it and I would recognize that it was like this iconic American experience that was on the screen. It wasn't my family's, this wasn't what happened in my house. Right. And, you know, I'm looking at it as an Italian American and I'm like, that's not my American experience. And so I started a thread basically saying happy days represented this weird little microcosm of an, of an icon to some people. And left out like huge, vast experiences of this country with, you know, Chinese Americans and Japanese Americans and, you know, Italian Americans and black Americans and, um, you know, Hispanic Americans. It, like it just didn't deal with diversity at all, really, like as a, as a general thing. I'm not saying that they might not have had ever an episode that had some kind of diversity, but in general, it was like this very white, very middle class, very, you know, it was like a super, super narrow segment. 
So I posted this thing and what was interesting was a ton of people posted to say, yeah, my upbringing was so different. You know, I had, I grew up in America and this family that came from the Philippines or I grew up in America and my family, you know, was like super, super German, even, you know, like even European if they were um, more recent immigrants. And so you had all these different people posting about their different experiences of growing up in a way that was not at all this thing that was portrayed on this show. There were just a few people who were like, but no, that's not, the, they're, they're not the American experience. Like the American experience is these like, you know, driving American cars and have, you know, going to the, the sock hops and going to the burger joint with your girl and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, no, man, there were people who grew up gay. There were people who grew up, you really have to understand that just because this is the one that gets the attention all the time and all the rest of them are ignored and dismissed, doesn't mean that it's the right one. It just means it's the one that's getting the attention while the rest of them are getting dismissed. That's really all it means. And so when you talk about diversity, what you're saying is we need to start including people, right? So there needs to be people that are included. Um, and so when these other folks were on there basically clinging to this idea of the happy days upbringing and saying, well, that was, that was my family. And I'm like, yes, and that's fine. And you got mm -hmm. the spotlight, but the problem is it's portrayed in such a way as to as to say that none of these other experiences are valid and that they don't count. Are we not Americans too? Right? Are we not U.S. citizens? Do, does our experience here isn't isn't every experience here an American experience? Um, yeah. Some of them no. got it. Some of them had a harder time getting it. But everybody who had an experience outside of it was like, totally get it, <laughs> totally understand, <Yeah>, absolutely <laughs> right. All those people who had that experience had a hard time seeing past that to the fact that just because they have the stamp of approval from the dominant culture saying your experience is the right experience, it's the one that counts, it's the one that we, it's right. our narrative of what an American should be and everything else is the other. To the point that we have politicians right now in power telling other politicians who were born here, you need to go back to where you came from. Yeah. So that's how un-American yeah. we look at those diversity of experiences. And speaking of one who has been told she needs to go back where she came from, we saw this interesting exchange between AOC and Yoho. And one of the things that I liked about watching it was seeing her get up on the floor and call it out and explain how this was marginalization and violence how it had nothing to do with being personally hurt or offended. It is about the damage that this does to an entire demographic. When you use these slurs on one person in that demographic, it spreads to the entire demographic because it is a gendered slur. And it was used in such a casual and that's what I'm getting to, right? So this guy says this on the steps of this of the Capitol, and every woman in America says, I'm raising my hand, I have been called this, right? And I, I am stealing this from Zerlina Maxwell, who basically used that same example, saying every woman was raising a hand saying, I've had this experience. We have all had this experience on my Facebook thread. All the ladies were like, yes, have had this experience have been called this many times whenever a man is angry at me or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I've mentioned that I had a few women who actually used this and I don't I don't approve of women using it as a slur. And right. that's the important thing because 
using it to denigrate women is different than saying, oh my God, this person on the phone won't quit bitching. Or, wow, that's a really bitching car. That's another context. But when you're talking about this woman is not behaving like she should behave, she's not keeping her place and she's not doing what I want her to do and therefore she is a bitch, right? That's just basically what they're saying. And when you're trying to use it in order to sort of put her back into that role that she's supposed to have, which is that subdued, submissive, quiet thing that just shuts up and does what she's supposed to do, that is when it becomes a gendered slur. Because basically what you're doing is saying, this is the role of women. You are stepping out of it. That's not acceptable. And so I am going to hurl this slur at you. For her to stand up and give that speech and call that out and say, we're gonna have a conversation because this isn't acceptable. It's not acceptable to use your wife and kids as shields. It's not acceptable mm-hmm. to call a woman this. This is accosting a woman. This is violent language. This marginalizes people and does real damage. It's not just words, right? This is not about an insult. I'm not insulted. I don't need an apology, but you are damaging women when you as the dominant culture are crapping on people that don't have the power, right? And if you don't if you don't believe that, look at the numbers of women in Congress. And I can't tell you how many times I have been confronted by people that say, I don't know why women need to be represented by women in Congress. Why can't they just let men represent them? And the answer is that in 2020, a female Congresswoman stood on the steps of the Capitol and was called a fucking bitch. And she was called that because still in play today and women are still dealing with this kind of shit today because we haven't had women representing women in congress and i guarantee you when more and more women do what aoc did and basically say when this happens you're going to be called out on it we're going to explain why this is wrong and we have a whole group of young people behind us who kind of understand what you don't understand old man and when I say old, I'm in that age group, right? So I'm just saying older generation. I'm not saying that you know everyone old obviously is not the problem. But when we have this generational divide where the youth have this more view of diversity and progression that is coming up the ranks, that's what's ushering in this diversity in Congress, right? We've got this changing culture And as these people get in there and people are like, well, I don't understand why lived experience is important because she knows what that's like to be on the receiving end of that. And he doesn't. Right. And the man next to him that didn't say anything, he doesn't either. And when they say that to each other in 200 years of freaking Congress, none of the men I've seen stood up and ever defended a woman like AOC did. Right. And so when you have women who understand the impact of this on other women and can stand up and voice that and have other women sitting and watching it and saying, thank you for finally saying this. Well, it took a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Did that. Mm -hmm. Getting her in there was important because she has that lived experience and she is an advocate for women. And then people will say, oh, so why don't you put Sarah Palin in there? Because she's a woman and you're not getting it, not getting it. It is not about just gender. It is about advocating for ending oppression and marginalization. And yes, you can be a woman and not care about being oppressed and actually oppress Mm -hmm. other women. You can do this. And so the women I would hope people would back would be the women who are not supporting the continued oppression of women. But I certainly, you know, it's like, yes, if the choice is a man 
against Sarah Palin and that man is somebody like Barack Obama who cares about, you know, my rights as a woman, then yes, I'm going to vote for the man. But what I'm saying is, if I had my choice, I'd want a woman who advocates for women because she's going to understand it at an experiential level that as good an ally as anybody wants to be, if you haven't been in those shoes, you do not know. That translates, right? Because I can be in a situation where somebody hurls a slur at me and I get it, I've just been slurred. It does not mean that I know what it's like to be black and someone hurls the N-word at me. It is not one-to-one. -one. It's not right. the same thing. It is wrong for the same reasons, but the impact and the social context around their life and their upbringing and the shit they've had to deal with is different type of marginalization than what I've had to deal with. We are both marginalized, but I guarantee you there are things about the experience of being a woman that Phil is not going to understand. And there are things about mm -hmm. being black that I am not going to understand. And there's something about being a lesbian that Phil and I are not going to understand that Jen, you understand. Yep. Because there's a difference between academically reading about it and living it day in and day out. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because uh, some of the people that I, you know, getting back to the, the high school mascot thing, some of the people I was arguing with online about this, and in some cases in person, were Hispanic. We were saying, oh, no, it's not about the Confederacy and the kids that are going there don't think about it that way. And, you know, it, this is, uh, why are we destroying our school's history? And I, and I was like, okay, you know, obviously just because you're, a minority, um, you know, or a person of color doesn't automatically mean you get it on this particular issue. But the other thing is, it's like, okay, a lot of the same people that you are standing with right now in solidarity will be the ones who turn to you and ask to see your papers next week. When you try to be careful where you your allegiances lie. And the thing is, it's like they understand very well what it means, you know, the impact of being asked to show their papers or to prove that they're U.S. citizens. That, mm -hmm. that they get. But for yeah. whatever reason, they couldn't make that leap to understanding what it's like to attend a high school, a Confederate soldier is the mascot. Right, because it's different. And people yeah. will say, oh, I, you know, I, I hear people say it and it's so wrong to just be like, well, I know what it feels like to have that happen because I'm in this other marginalized group and we experience X, Y, Z. And I'll tell you, it's up to the other person in the other group to say to you either, yeah, I think that is pretty representative of what I've experienced or to say, no, that's not totally not, you're on the wrong track entirely. It's not like that at all. Because yeah, exactly. when, like you say, it's different. You have different dynamics and different contexts of what you're dealing with and how you're threatened. What Yatsu were just talking about then. Um, so this is back, goodness, this is back in 2015. And, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, black gay, you know, atheist dude. And so there, there's been a lot of different shit that I've had to deal with. But um, I remember talking to uh, Leanne Lord uh, in particular. This was over in uh, Memphis, Tennessee at a convention and we had, we, I guess we spent maybe an hour plus or something just on for just talking about things. And somehow or another, she started talking about her experiences when she has to like, you know, she uh, was, uh, lives in New York. And when she has to walk to a certain place by herself at a certain time of night, 
she was breaking down that experience. That now, granted, this is like one or two in the morning. She was kind of going into detail, and I honestly don't even remember how we originally got started on that uh, conversation in the first place. It was, you know, we were all over the place that night, but she started going through like the checklist that she went through in her mind before she even started out on the journey, whether she was going to the subway or something like that, you know, the things that she would go through her mind as far as protecting herself, being aware of certain surroundings. And, you know, I, I've been black all my life, oddly. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've had to deal with some people that had some words to say. I've been called the N-word as I was randomly heading back to my apartment when I was on campus at university. But I've had some experiences of my own around me being gay and everything else. But the experience that she was talking about, even though I was walking home late at night or anything, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind to be acutely aware of every sound and every rustle that was around me, for example, to have my keys in my knuckles at the ready in case somebody were to run up or something along those lines. I mean, I was aware of kind of what was going on just because, you know, I just I distrust yeah. <laughs> folks. And it was it was late and dark and everything else, but not to the degree that she was saying. And so getting her perspective about just that mental way, going out to clubs with her friends and the things they do to make sure they stay safe in so many different scenarios, going to the bathroom in groups, watching if somebody buys you a drink to decline it unless you see it being made right. by the bartender and handed, you know, right to you in the first place. So you know that nothing has gone in there. It's those those little pieces that I have heard about. I've read about them. I have seen people on YouTube describe their experiences about them but it's not something that i can personally identify with it's something that i can empathize with as much as possible but it's also something that i recognize that i may not know everything that is going through their mind and i use what she related to me to adapt my behavior to make sure that if i'm walking in a parking lot and there's somebody else that's there uh that i put some more distance in between them to make sure that they feel a little more comfortable you know versus me being you know walking because i walk fast i make long strides so that may be misinterpreted as me walking upon somebody when when i'm not really doing that but to make them feel comfortable because i have that knowledge of what she was experiencing and that i'm like okay i need to reframe the way that I'm looking at situations because all my minority statuses aside, I didn't see that part of what I was doing. I, and so it, but it took me listening and actually understanding, not getting defensive with her or saying, well, that's just ridiculous what you're talking about there or anything like that. It's like, oh, I didn't know that that's the way that came, you know, I see what you're saying and what you're explaining. Okay. Let me adjust what I'm doing. So, and you know, to be sensitive to you and to everyone else that may have not told me your perspective that you just gave, like, I will understand that and I will take that to heart. And I'm not sure that, you know, Yoho, you know, AOC gave it, it was a wonderful speech. And if you haven't seen it, you need to, you know, it's, it's on you, it's on YouTube. It's all, it's, it's, you can yeah. spend 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Like you'll yeah. be fine, but it's definitely worth you know, hearing that perspective, because it may give you, hopefully it gives you a little more nuance into how your speech may affect someone else. You may not mean it that way. You 
you know, you're the most positive sex positive, whatever you want to be, whatever, you know, how you want to label yourself, but you may not know what your language, how your language is affecting someone else until you hear that perspective and truly understand it and soak it in and say, okay, let me examine what I've been doing. Well, on the thread for her speech, I had um, somebody contacted me and said, well, when I use that word, right, when I use bitch, I'm using it to mean just that woman, right? Like I'm not, and I said, I don't care how you mean to use it. When you use it, what women hear is a gendered slur. You are insulting her gender as part of the insult, and that insults and, and and I hate even using the word insult because it's not even really an insult. A slur is different than an insult, right? Right. The difference between a slur and an insult is that an insult is something that I can I get have the choice to upset or not get upset. As far as um, you know, oh, you it, like if you were to um, call me an asshole, I can care or not care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. It's just a matter of, do I care whether or not you called me an asshole? I get to make that decision whether I care. But when somebody is using gendered slurs, it's putting a target on women, right? So you're putting a target. When somebody uses a racial slur, you're putting a target on that race. It's like putting a social fence around these people and saying, you are those others. You are those people that we target. And the reason we have a slur that maligns you is so that we can know that you are this class that is less than, and you belong in this group that is less than. When I was thinking about how in World War II, when they were um, picking out all the undesirables, right, as they labeled them, they would put a tattoo on them, right? Because a lot, all these groups that they were picking on, right? Like the um, gay people or Jewish people, sometimes you can't tell just by looking at somebody that right. that that's that they're the, that they are the target. Gay mm-hmm. guy, I can't tell. If I want to go do some damage to somebody who's gay, I would have to like go down to a gay bar and hang out or something. You know what I mean? Like wait in the parking lot if I wanted to go and harm somebody that was gay, because I can't tell from just somebody walking down the street if they're gay or not. So these tattoos were intended to label these people as the target, as the other, as this group that we marginalize. But when you have particular attributes, like Phil said, you know, kind of jokingly, I've been gay, I've been black all my life, right? It's like I've been black all my life, and yeah, it's kind of funny because <laughs> you can look at Phil, and yes, he's black. It's not like you you choose to be black. Um, yeah. People have labeled this particular demographic as black, and we label this other demographic as white, which is really this huge spread of people from all over the globe that happen to be white. And so the whole term is really just a blanket term for the power dynamic, right? It's like white, it means the empowered class here. And so Phil has this thing where he's black. You don't have to put a tattoo on Phil to know that he's that other, that he is that black person, that he is that thing to marginalize and that thing to put down and that thing that is not quite fully human and is not got the power. And it's, not, you know, and so, and it's the same with women. Oh, they are those things that aren't men. They are those things that are different. Those, there's those things that, you know, we aren't the dominant culture. And dominant culture doesn't even mean majority. It just means right. the culture that dominates and the narrative that dominates. And so you have these groups that, for the most part, can be generally identified just on site. You don't have to put a tattoo on me. You just need to say, she's that bitch. And that means I am in that group now, and Jen is in that group now, and all of the women are in that group now. 
that has just been called out as the thing that is different, that is okay to target, that is, and that, and, and that's the tattoo, right? That's the tattoo that right. goes, gets slapped on when you use a slur, because it's a demographic insult. It's not an insult of an individual. And I don't care that you meant it that way. The group that is hit with that knows this is the label that you're slapping on us, that we all get hit with. Every man who hits us with this is just hitting that woman, that woman who didn't do what she was supposed to do or behave like she was supposed to behave. So it's a verbal way of assigning a person into a demographic for the purpose of oppression. This is the group that is oppressed. When, and, and, and part of what I was having in that conversation was trying to explain, it's not that not all gender slurs are equal. When you're in the dominant culture, you have the option to decide whether or not you care. When you are the person who's going to be denigrated and you also are on the, the bottom end of the power dynamic, you can't ignore the fact that you're being othered, especially not by powerful people. Like I say, a congressperson on the steps of the Capitol who is there as a federal, federal representative who thinks that this is okay. And that's still going on today. And it's like, if you want, if men wanted to represent, they should have represented because they didn't. And AOC is there now. And she did. And she right. showed what should have been said a hundred years ago. And the fact that, that Johan said this to a woman who is his peer, you know, that, that to me is so telling because he was clearly communicating to her that he doesn't consider her a peer. She is a lesser being, you know, when, we were doing godless bitches. We specifically reclaimed that term because it's mm -hmm. one that's so often used against women who dare to challenge male authority in some sense. And that's really what AOC did. And that's why Yoho responded the way he did and called her a fucking bitch. I understand why we reclaimed that term even more now than I did before after seeing this behavior, but I also understand that that reclaimed term is not the way Yoho was using it. He was using it in the traditional sense, which is to put a woman down, put her in her mm -hmm. place, let her know he thinks she is lesser you know, and that she should have not said anything, should have voted the way he wanted her to. She did something, she expressed agency, which is one of the ways women get called a bitch. Like when he did, like, I don't even understand where he thought that that would be an okay thing to do. I mean, there, there's been a lot of, you know, theories that have been, out, uh, been put out there as far as, you know, why he felt that was okay. But it was just like, what did you expect to happen after all this? First of all, why would you even believe that that was okay? Even if I disagree with you or whatnot, which I'm sure they have, you know, huge policy disagreements, fine. And, but that's par for the course up there on Capitol Hill. But to come to her and accost her in that way and think that that's okay. And then came with this, uh, I'd say apology, but not really uh, yeah. saying that, you know, he he won't apologize for being passionate. Is uh, well, he, what he also I, denied he even said it, right? Even though he said it in front of witnesses. There right, were other the people thing. there who said, yes, he said it. And it, that, that's part of it. Him and his male colleague who was also next to him have female constituents. They have women constituents. And 
they thought that this was okay as men in power to perpetuate this kind of denigration of women. And then what you had was what Jen was bringing up earlier. They think it's okay. Even power doesn't matter. Even a woman right. with power that is sitting now herself as a representative of the United States on the, at the federal level is not immune to being slapped down. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess that's my point is if that can still happen in 2020, then women are not being represented and well, we need representation and then we need to get women in there. Yeah. And so when somebody asks me, why do we need women representatives? Why can't a man represent you? Because this shit's still going on in 2020, that's why. Right, and that's exactly why he thought he could get away with that. Is because yeah. look at the silence of his male colleagues. He doesn't get called party. out. Mm-hmm. He yeah, thought there was nothing about. to it. You know, if, if Barack Obama had said something like that to someone, those guys would have been calling for his resignation and voting articles of impeachment, like, instantly. In a heartbeat, they would have jumped all over that for the political convenience. And what yeah. what really killed me was because he loves his God or something like that. And I was just like, yeah, yeah because we all know how upstanding pastors are. We all know what those men of the cloth never do anything like, you know, sexually assault or, you know, children or, or women or even young men. And come on, that old thing, that's the one thing I'm really glad is going down, right? Is that at this point, saying that you're a Christian and that, you know, you love your God and try and like what AOC was saying, trying to use that as your shield kind of no yeah. longer works after we saw the whole Catholic Church coming down. And after we see you know, it's like this, this crap is is not flying anymore because we now um anybody that still believes that you know somebody saying they're a christian means that you are automatically a good person is not paying attention to all of the sexual assault all of the corruption the financial abuse just i don't know where you're hiding if you think that shit still flies but this is a guy who is in a district where apparently that shit still flies in his head and the wife and children thing too oh my goodness I have daughters, right? I would never say that. Oh, yeah, because men who have daughters and men who have wives never, ever use gender slurs, right? right? N- none of us ever heard our bigoted fathers use gender slurs. Like, right. hello, <laughs> my dad yeah. had daughters and, you know, and he was married and it didn't stop him. Right. And that's the thing. What he said that it's like you are married like like right now and you have children right now. You said that in your quote unquote apology speech. But having that and being of that status didn't stop you from saying this in the first place. Well, I think that so, his, his claim, though, was that because he has these things, that means he's telling the truth when he says he didn't say it. But I'm saying if it it meant that, I mean, if every man who had a mother, wife or daughter never used a gender slur, then how the hell are all the women I know saying, oh, have heard that a million times aimed at me. All these women are hearing it. Who are they hearing it from? Men with relationships with women never say it. So who's saying it? I guess nobody. I guess just women are saying it to each other. I don't know. That's throws me for a loop i don't know i don't even know why uh, what his point of coming up there and actually saying anything at all was if he wasn't planning to apologize if he what he did just made things so things even worse on that side like these little well she she was responding to his statement i mean if he had not said anything she said that she had no plans to say anything until he got up there and made that bullshit talk and then she was like oh no it's interesting because that's like an interesting segue that goes into something else I wanted to bring up, which was a group called Embrace Race. 
In the next episode, the conversation continues around Embrace Race. It also touches on BLM protests and motivations while exploring attitudes and actions around support for anti-racism. For this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring.